Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Pat Chow, Head of Investment Advisory Hong Kong for Greater China Markets. Today, I'm joined by Richard Tang, our Head of Research Hong Kong. Hello, Pat, and hello to our audience. In this episode of Beyond Markets, we are going to review year 2021 as it comes to an end. Richard, first of all, how would you describe the global economy this year? Well, I would summarize the entire macro picture in two axes. The first axis is from growth to inflation, and then the second one is developed markets versus China. That's interesting the way you see it. The market was definitely encouraged by how strong the growth is, especially in the developed world this year. On this front, UK is clearly the poster child, where its GDP growth in the second quarter reached 20% year-on-year. And of course, we have seen the US economy growing at 6.3% and 6.7% in the first and second quarter, which are also one of the strongest in history. Yes. And that has supported the corporates to deliver very strong earnings growth and also positive surprises during the reporting season. At the beginning of this year, analysts were expecting roughly 30% profit growth from the S&P 500 companies. And you know what? The number is now tracking at over 50% because these companies just kept beating analyst estimates. I know. It's impressive, isn't it? I think that's the reason why the U.S. market has been going successively higher. But how did they manage to do that? Well, revenue growth has definitely been very strong. But I think more importantly, these companies are able to take the margins successively higher. In fact, the margins levels are so high that some investors start to question how sustainable that can be, especially when we see that the cost pressure is getting higher and higher. On that note, Inflation does have some harm to the asset markets. Look at the bond market, for example. As the economy kept reporting record high growth rates, investors started to think about the potential of overheating and therefore a high inflation. And whether that led to high interest rates. Exactly. And whether that led to higher interest rates. The 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yields went to as high as 1.7% when market was pricing in a persistent inflation. Now the 10-year yields have come down a little bit, but the upward pressure has shifted to the short end of the yield curve. The market is all of a sudden thinking of three Fed highs next year. Indeed, there's a very rapid change in market expectation, isn't it? When the Fed published its last dot plus in September, the Fed officials were forecasting only half a hike by the end of next year. But then things moved very, very quickly. In November, the Fed announced to start tapering and plan to end it next June. But within just two to three weeks, the Fed officials changed their mind and now hinted to end the tapering earlier, possibly in March instead, because they thought inflation was more sticky than they previously assumed. To be frank, the market was a little bit shocked by this change in view, because the Fed has always been emphasizing this transitory nature of inflation. And you know, The asset market is always very good at extrapolating something. So market participants have extended their expectation 
from fast to taper to early rate hikes, even though the Fed didn't say anything about when they're going to raise interest rate for the first time. But anyway, this is how we ended up with the futures market pricing in almost three hikes in 2022. Richard, I must say it's a bit dramatic and perhaps chaotic too, because of such a volatility in the interest rates. Many investors have suffered some meaningful drawdown in the fixed income portfolios in the developed markets. Right, and I think that may have some forward-looking implications on the equity market pricing as well. This year. Actually, most of this year, the U.S. equity market was at a sweet spot because strong economic growth has supported strong earnings growth, and then the interest rate environment, or more broadly, the monetary condition, was loose. So that has driven valuation of stocks going higher as well. The result is what we saw in the market indices: SPX was up 25%, Dow Jones was up 18%, and the Nasdaq went up 21% as well. Now, getting into next year, we think U.S. companies probably would grow their profits by high single digit or close to 10%. But as we are entering a rate hike cycle, very likely, we don't think stock valuation will be going any higher. That sounds about right. So, 10% earnings growth and zero valuation change bring us about 10% return in the U.S. market next year, which is much smaller than this year. It's still positive. And to be frank, it's also normal after such a year of strong performance. Are there pockets of market where you see opportunities or risks? Well, some moves are already underway. First, the European market, which is up 19% year to date, is now catching up as investors are looking for cheap stocks outside of the U.S. market, and we're clearly seeing some good flows there within the region. Julius Baer is overweight Swiss equities. Second. We have seen some strong reversal of performance in those unprofitable tech companies in the U.S., especially relative to the other technology stocks. Oh yeah, the observation we had last year was that loss-making tech companies in the U.S. actually saw their shares going up more than the megatech stocks such as Fangs. I think that's because of the unlimited quantitative easing going on that flushed massive liquidity into the system. But we are seeing this trend of relative performance gradually reversing. In fact, in those recent weeks when the market was rapidly repricing rate high expectations, some of these stocks were going down five to ten percent a day. So inflation and interest rate outlook will clearly be the most important factor to monitor for next year. Richard, I thought COVID virus should be the most important factor, shouldn't it? Didn't the Delta variant in the summer and Omicron currency trigger some risk-off in the asset markets? Yes and no. I think the mutants have definitely triggered some temporary sell-offs, especially in the equity and commodity markets, which are more exposed to growth expectations. But they did not cause a lasting impact because the resurgence in cases did not all cause a rise in hospitalization, given that the vaccination rates in U.S. and Europe are high. So these countries actually managed to proceed with their reopening plans, but the Omicron did cause a sell-off in the commodity market, right? Look at the oil price. Well, I don't think it's just Omicron that caused the drop. There are demand supply considerations as well. Strong economic recovery has boosted commodity prices higher this year, and then supply constraints have exacerbated that upward pressure because. Most commodities have long production cycle. You can't ramp up the capacity overnight. But what's more, investors like to use commodity as a hedge to inflation, so that in turn formed a positive fixture circle. 
And then getting to October and November, we were increasingly convinced that there was an overshoot. So when Omicron hit the market, that triggered a rapid pullback. And at the same time, some inventory numbers were also implying weakening demand. Still, the commodity market has made very strong gains this year. WTI has gained 49%, while Brent has gained 46%. Overall, 2021 is a rewarding year with one of the strongest rallies in equities and commodities. Well, this is true for most assets, unfortunately not for China. In fact, 2021 is a challenging year for both Chinese equities and corporate bonds, not really a rewarding year. I think what puts China in a sharp contrast with the global markets is its policy cycle. China was tightening policies, but the US and Europe were still loosening this year. Exactly. China had its economy recovering from the COVID trough first. Therefore, it also started policy tightening much earlier than the other economies. Monetary tightening was most evident in the first half this year. And then getting into second half, the market focus has shifted to regulatory tightening. Recall that the offshore Chinese stocks fell as much as 20% in late February and March after the People's Bank of China reduced liquidity injection. And then they fell another 20% in July when the government stepped up regulatory pressure in the internet, the education, and the healthcare sectors, among many others. Richard, you forgot to mention the housing policy tightening all along this year. Oh, right. Chinese property developers are currently facing some financing challenges indeed. Bond market issuance has collapsed, with the yields rising to historical high after payment failure from several developers. Home sales were weak. They were down more than 30% year-on-year over the past three months. And then mortgage financing was tight. Some home buyers had to wait for months before they can get a mortgage for their home purchase. Do you think we have seen the worst already? Yes, I think so. At the very least, property policies are not tightened further. And in fact, they have relaxed marginally. Now, it is true that the government is keeping a stance that homes are for living, not for speculation. But here and there, we're seeing some fine-tuning of policies that allow better financing for both developers and home buyers. To be clear, we think a few weaker developers may still have to default on their bonds, but the stronger ones now have a higher chance to survive through this financing challenge, and we are definitely not having a systemic crisis. Not just property, but I think the broader policy cycle is moving towards marginal easing. We have seen a shift in policy narratives from the Chinese government. In the most recent Central Economic Working Conference, Chinese policymakers stated that the top priority in 2022 is economic stabilization. I think it shows that they are well aware of the risk of economic slowdown and are about to relax the grip marginally. I hope that also means a stabilization in Chinese assets too. Yeah, broad-based easing is still unlikely, so a new uptrend may still be some time away from us. But I'm hopeful that we will see a rebound in both the equity and the credit market soon. All right. It looks like we have covered all we have to say. Thank you, Richard, for sharing your thoughts with us. On behalf of Julius Bear, we wish you a nice holiday season as 2021 comes to its close. And also a healthy and prosperous 2022. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. 
If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.